Hi, everyone. It's Peter Basler with ESAC Lending coming to you again from Westport, Connecticut, joined by my friends Brooke Gilman on beautiful Lake Champlain in Vermont and Jim Maroney in Dartmouth, Massachusetts. Um, before we get started today on our topic of ETFs, I did want to say that we thought about video this time, but Brooke advised me my outfit didn't really, didn't really work for that. So we're going to stay yeah. with audio. Much better to do audio, Peter. Many people are thankful for that. And I, I just want to start by talking about parenting during the quarantine. I started questioning my parenting skills when my 18-year-old was up until 3 a.m. playing Xbox and sometimes yelling profanities at the Xbox. And then I got a, an email from our school which said, listen, during this time, let your kids just do whatever they want and just be supportive, be there for them. And I said, wow, okay, maybe after all, I'm not such a bad parent. So I'm letting it go for now. Um, and that's uh, parenting an 18 year old. Brooke, I know you've got much different age brackets. So tell me a parenting story. Oh goodness, yes, no, I have a, um, brand new six-year-old and four-year-old. So I still kind of like to think of them as a five and a three-year-old, but they are maturing, I guess, slowly. So uh, yeah, no, parenting young kids during this and working full-time is, uh, is quite the feat. And I, I do, I shouldn't complain fully because I have help. We have, um, because I still have young children, I have um, help with a nanny. So that part is, is not as painful. But the problem is, as I was saying earlier to someone, it's enough to have your kids, to have young children home all the time, not in school, not in some sort of uh, program, but to then have to also teach them and to also have to work as well. It's a, it's a lot. So um, yeah, no, I feel for all of the other parents out there, both with young children and older children, because uh, there's a lot to juggle right now, that's for certain. And I could share a lot of stories, but I don't know, maybe, maybe for a later date. I feel for you, Brooke. Dealing with young kids and, and a demanding job, that's rough. And go, going to the other side with, uh, with Jim, you have kids. Do you have grandkids yet? <laughs> <That's>, uh, <laughs> yeah, you've been, been waiting to use that on one of these podcasts, I'm sure. Yeah, the pandemic parenting for me, my youngest is 18, and I have two others uh, all in this house. So it's more uh, survival skills is kind of what we're all practicing. We uh, now take turns cooking, uh, and my daughters have to shop and cook uh, at least once a week. So that's been an adventure, um, both uh, having them shop and then uh, eating their cooking. <laughs> so it's uh, not necessarily parenting, but really just, um, just trying to get through it. Excellent. All right, Maybe well, I should do that with mine. I'll get my kids to cook once a week, see how that pans out. It's not enjoyable. <laughs> <laughs> All right, great. Well, it is a challenge parenting during these times, so always good to have a little story here and there. So today, ETFs. What I love about the ETF subject is there are really two different topics there. One is, you know, the ETF as the ETF sponsor, I should say, and the underlying securities in the ETF, right? They can be a client of ours and we have them as clients today. And so we're gonna lend their underlyings, which is great because they're often passive. Um, so that's one way to look at the ETF market. The other is to look at the actual ETF itself, the QSIP, right? Which can, can be bought for exposure, it can be borrowed, it can be lent. There are a lot of different applications given that ETFs you know, replicate an index, a basket of securities, a country. So there's a lot to do in ETFs. And so 
I know, Jim, in a, in a prior podcast, we talked about ETF borrowing being up at the beginning of this crisis. So maybe just fill us in on your thoughts. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a re- ETF borrowing <coughs> and shorting has long been a way to hedge out portfolios. Many times you see it in November and December as um, money managers want to get rid of risk, take risk off the table. So they'll short against um, long underlying um, positions that they have and, and coast and get through the rest of the year flat. But what we've seen since uh, the pandemic hit in throughout March and mostly in the beginning and middle of March, we saw a ton uh, of shorting in ETFs, whether it's the spider and uh, like you said, it could be broad indices, it could be um, high yield bonds, it could be um, sectors, countries, it gets very specific. Um, so long as there's liquidity to an ETF, um, that's on the cash side. So long as there's, there's a volume every single day, folks will use it as a hedging vehicle. So um, we saw that. We saw that in early March in, in both uh, HYG, which is the high yield. We saw it in Spider. We saw it in EEM, which is emerging markets. IWM, which is um, the Russell 2. It's a nice, quick, easy way to take chips off the table. Um, and not try and sell your 2,000 underlying securities. So um, what's, what has, to me, the more interesting piece is how we, the market has gone from using those tools initially to now going into single stock shorting. And um, those same very, very popular and active shorts are now coming off. So we're seeing returns of loans. We're seeing re-rating um, cheaper um, for, from a borrower's perspective, less attractive from a lender's perspective. Um, to keep loans out. And so um, it's natural, feels healthy, feels good, feels like the market is now um, starting to understand earning power of the companies and more willing to, and stop, we're not seeing six, 7% swings as much today in the market. We're seeing three twos and percent swings. So it's, um, it's funny that you call two or 3% a, uh, a, a quiet day um, or a normal day, but it is, it's the new normal, I guess. Um, so we're seeing the shift from ETF shorting into um, sector shorting, uh, single stocks in, in various sectors. And so, Great. Go Jim, ahead, Brooke. Well, I have a question. So you hit two points, and I'm trying to just understand if these are the two main reasons for that. One, you talked about the efficiency of how people were shorting the ETFs early on because that was you know, just a faster, more efficient way to, to, to do that or to gain that exposure. But then you talked more recently about how now people are maybe better identifying specific shorts versus just thinking broadly about a sector or broadly about an index. Um, so are those, are those kind of the two primary reasons why we have seen that shift in the past month from more ETF, uh, you know, kind of like ETF spiking and maybe coming off a bit, but now, uh, you know, traditional securities and the specialness increasing? Is that... Is, this, is that summary a fair summary or is that accurate? Yeah, that sounds accurate. I, I think you have many types of investors. So the, the broad-based guys uh, would short the S&P 500 and now they're starting to say, okay, I think uh, my winners might be tech and so they'll buy tech and my losers might be cruise lines, airlines, and autos and they'll start shorting there. And then you have others who focus on sectors and their initial um, way to play it would be to short uh, a specific ETF, maybe an Excel uh, financial one or something in um, autos. And now they're doing paired trades in individual securities, long one, short the other in that industry. So, yep, they were used by almost every type of investor out there uh, who would be platformed at a prime. 
prime broker. And Jim, real quick on, I know ETFs often, when they get special, they often aren't special all that long because yeah. of the create redeem process that can affect supply. Can you touch on that a little? Yeah. Yep. So um, if you look at any specific um, stock, any of the, let's, let's pick on Ford today. Ford has a float of X millions of shares. And so if it's a supply demand equation, if the demand increases the supply to borrow, it starts to get special. Same thing happens in the ETF world, except that ETFs have unlimited float. You can create ETFs and all you have to do is deliver into, if you're going to create SPY, you deliver into um, the State Street ETF team, 500 pro rata shares of the underlying and receive back your package security and then do the opposite when you, um, when you get out of that trade. So because of that, because of that, um, they never get that hard to borrow. Once once the cost to borrow an ETF gets uh, punitive, they'll go out and create it instead. So they'll borrow the underlying and, and, uh, and lend it out. But it creates um, that, that the ability to change the amount of float in the market, say for, for any of those ETFs, um, creates a business in and of itself. It um, sits on a lot of Delta One desk at the prime brokers where they create, redeem, and then they are between the two. It's cheaper to borrow the underlyings um, than the ETF bill. Um, borrow the underlines, create the ETF and lend the ETF and vice versa. We actually saw back in 2008 <clears throat> when the Citigroup trade, which was like largely known as the, the single biggest trade, it was um, a prefs converted into common trade. Um, and there was a huge ARB, there was a discount and it, uh, the deal got delayed and delayed and delayed. And a lot of money was made by agent lenders and, um, and a lot of money was lost by hedge funds who put that trade on. Um, but in that time, we saw a lot, and Citigroup is part of um, the S&P 500, we saw a lot of borrows of the SPY to hand into um, the, the issuer and redeem and take the underlying and then lend that city into their hedge funds, um, that Citigroup underlying into their hedge funds and to play that trade. And then once it was over, they repackaged it, gave it back and got the ETF back. So it goes both ways. And so if, if ETF demand is kind of coming off a little bit, what, what are the, just for the audience, what are the key ETFs right now that have the highest demand? Are there specific sectors or countries or indices that you're seeing out yeah, there? I, yeah, sadly, I, uh, I don't trade as much as I'd like, so I'm not in there uh, looking at it every day. But I can tell you it's the, many times it's the hard to create ETFs that trade special. So um, the high yield, for instance, HYG, JNK, a little bit more difficult to create because there's less liquidity in bonds. So you have to take the bonds and hand them in to create them. If it's harder to create, people are more willing to pay a higher premium to borrow the security. Um, you might see it in, or it could be impossible to create in some cases if you're not in local, um, you know, FXI is the China um, ETF. And that gets difficult to create because if you're not in the local market uh, to buy or to deliver in, you need to, it's much easier just to spend, to pay one, two, 3% per annum to borrow that stock and get that position that way. So, Jim, so I, I would say that'd be the focus for special ETFs is the um, hard to create. So can you talk more about um, HYG then? Because so if, if, if that is because of liquidity of corporate bonds uh, or illiquidity, oftentimes, if that is 
harder to create and therefore you know more often the the etf might have the specialness versus you know other etfs out there can you talk um at a sort of over a longer time horizon about sort of the change in demand for hyg and um you know knowing that that it's been quite special and then it's come off and um, become more gc and just in terms of kind of broad uh, what's going on in the market and, and broader market demand for that, for that particular ETF? Yeah. So for that one, um, let's see the easiest way to explain it. That one, the floor of the cost to borrow that, um, it'll, it gets to GC levels. Um, but so call it 20 basis points, 25 basis points. Um, others will have floors lower than that. And that's because of the difficulty to borrow the underlying package it up and give it. There's a slippage with that, with the with equity ETFs, it's one for one. Whatever you give um, to the ETF creator and then they package it up and give it back, when you redeem it, they give you the exact same um, amounts and QCIPs back. But with a bond, QCIP like uh, an HYG, there's buckets based on credit ratings and you hand in securities, you may not get the same securities back. So then you have to go sell them and flatten out. So. They're willing to pay a higher floor on that GC. HYG um, trades a lot like, um, like an equity does. Um, it is very supply and demand driven. Um, people take positions for longer periods of time with HYG um, on both the long and the short side. And so um, it, it'll trade anywhere from 20 basis points out to 400. And then it gets too expensive and people generally create. Um, so that range, that 20 to 400 has been arranged for years and years, I would say, on that name. Um, and it does fluctuate back and forth, but it really is um, driven by perception of the high yield market, which way it's going to go. It's tricky and difficult to short high yield bonds because you have to cover the coupon as well as the cost to borrow the security. Um, so it gets very expensive to short, um, to short debt. And many times, unlike when you're shorting uh, debt, you cover the coupon, um, but you have other options than that one QCIP. There's, there's a, a capital structure and you have bonds up and down, senior and sub debt, that you can short different places and go to the cheapest to short. Whereas if you're trying to get short of credit via the equity market, you've got one option many times, sometimes two, but mostly one option. QCIP. Great, thanks. Yeah. Uh, that's some good insight. You know, one other thing I wanted to mention and this is from my perspective as a new business guy, is that the majority or a big portion of the kind of the new business pipeline, new lenders coming to the market are ETF sponsors. So they could be established asset managers looking to get into ETF space or new and emerging kind of boutique ETF managers. But securities lending for the underlyings in the ETF is a critical function. So mm -hmm. because the BlackRocks, the Vanguards, the SSGAs participate, and because in some spaces there can be significant revenue, the revenue earned from securities lending can often offset a portion or all of the expense ratio. So the cost of ownership for an investor can be dramatically affected by securities lending. So securities lending on the actual ETF um, portfolio can be a big driver, more so than it is in, in, in many of the open-end products. So anyway... ETFs, a big topic in securities lending. Um, Jim, thank you. Brooke, thank you. And uh, we'll see you next time. Great. Thanks, guys. Sounds good, Peter. Thanks. Thanks.